Gather round, the witching hour draws near. I'm your haunted host, animation industry artist, witch, and overall spooky enthusiast, Jenny Calabro. Come with me as we venture into the spooky realm of entertainment and real-life ghosties in this episode of A Jaunty Haunt. Happy holidays, spooks and specters. Welcome back to yet another episode of A Jaunty Haunt, a holiday special. This time, I'm talking about A Muppet's Christmas Carol with a familiar guest, Brie Paulson. Brie is the one who made our lovely intro music, and Brie has also been on the podcast previously talking about Bly Manor. This time, we're talking about A Muppet's Christmas Carol as well as wonderful Victorian-era ghost stories during the holiday season. So I hope you all enjoy this episode and get a little bit of a spook with your holidays this year. It feels like Christmas! Hello spooks and spirits! It feels like the holiday season and guess what? That's because it is and if my calculations are correct, this episode will be released right on Christmas Eve. So what better time than now to discuss the absolute beautiful classic story of A Christmas Carol, but not just any Christmas Carol, not just the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol, the Muppets version. I'm so excited to talk about this film with my guest, who you may all recognize. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, it's Brie again. Um, I was a guest on the Bly Manor episode, and I'm back again to talk about spoopy ghosts. I'm a comic writer and illustrator. I work on graphic novels. I also have a webcomic. So, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you could join us again, Brie. I know, I know, listeners, I know if you listen to the Bly Manor episode, you're thinking, wait a minute, didn't Jenny say that Brie would be coming back for a vampire episode? Yes. Yes, I did. I'm definitely still going to have Brie come back for a vampire episode, but there's no way I could not have Brie not come on and talk about Muppet's Christmas Carol for a couple of different reasons. But before we get too deep into it, let's uh, let's get talking. I'm sure everybody knows the Christmas Carol story. I'm sure I don't have to go over it, but I will just do a brief, brief, brief overview. Essentially, an old miser learns his lesson from some spirits that come and scold him for being a terrible, terrible, money-hungry person. And through these three different spirits that visit him, he kind of learns the error of his ways and changes for the better. So now we have the absolute fantastic Muppets coming in and making this story just a million times better. Brie, out of all the different Charles Dickens Christmas Carol stories, would you say that this one's your favorite? Because I know it is for me, but I don't know about you. Like, obviously, I grew up knowing the Christmas Carol, but like, I wasn't like my go tos for the holidays were like the Rankin and Bass stop motion um, films. But I've always loved the Muppets, and like, this version is just so good. I mean, like, a lot of people agree that this is the best version, like, that it's surprisingly very accurate. Uh, Michael Caine is amazing in it. Uh, The Muppets are the Muppets. (laughs) It's funny because I remember 
when like I grew up with this film and one time for a uh, high school, I think it was like advanced writing class. I'm not sure. Uh, our teacher surprised us around the holiday season and was like, cool, uh, we're going to we're going to watch them up. It's Christmas Carol. And we're like, awesome. And then they were like, cool. Now we're going to read the actual story and see what stuck and what didn't in the in the film. And I was really blown away to discover that this movie I grew up with was almost exact to the original story. Like there are direct quotes from Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol in the Muppet version. And funny because you go and you watch other versions and they're all like loose interpretations of the same exact story with the same exact beats and everything. But I I really can't think of another Christmas Carol version that has direct quotes from the book or from the original story. And I think that's just so cool. Like you were saying with Michael Caine, apparently it's been quoted that Michael Caine said that when he got the role of Ebenezer Scrooge for this movie, he said he was going to play it like a Shakespearean like theater, just put 100% of himself into it. Even though he was acting with puppets, he was like, cool, I'm going to act with these Muppets, but I'm going to put on the best absolute acting I possibly can with them. And in one of the behind the scenes that I watched, he even said, you know, it was so much fun working with the Muppets and that he felt kind of like Grange having to yell at these adorable little Muppets that everybody adores. And he's like being an absolute like jerk to them. <laughs> I think it's like it's also said that like it's one of his favorite things that he's got gotten to work on. The reason why he accepted the role was um, he wanted something that his daughter could watch because like he's known for his like. I mean, before that, he was known for more, like, gritty roles or his, like, spy roles and stuff. So, yeah, it's just, like, it's just, like, a nice, super wholesome, like, story all the way around. And the characters are so, like, well-placed to the characters from the Charles Dickens novel. Like, of course, Kermit is going to be Bob Cratchit and Miss Piggy is going to be his wife. It just, like, it, it's all so perfectly suited for those characters. And it's funny because in one of the behind-the-scenes where they're actually interviewing the Muppets when they were working on the film at the time. Kermit told the camera, because this was like back in the day, like I think now Kermit and Miss Piggy are officially dating, but I think back in the day they were not. I even think they're exes now. They technically Yes, divorced. I was going to say, aren't they exes or divorced now? Okay, so like back back when they were filming this, they they weren't even dating yet. And so Kermit told the cameras, he's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're married in this film. Me and Miss Piggy, our characters are. But this is only a film. This is only a film. This is only a film. Like, he was, like, really adamant <laughs> about it. <laughs> and it was just so funny. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I, I just, I love it. Like I said, their roles were just so suited for the Muppets. And it, I love that even in the opening credits, they title the Muppets as the characters from the books. And the actors of the Muppets don't get credited till the end because it's really keeping on that, you know, that beautiful facade of the Muppets are real people. They are real actors and actresses, and they are playing roles in this film. I wanted to become a puppeteer at one point in my life. And like watching behind the scenes of like any like Muppet production, like how much they stay in character while like just like goofing around doing like um screen tests and stuff. It's just it just makes like the Muppets just like so much more endearing. Like there's so much love put into the Muppets. Yeah, it's really cute. I watched bloopers for this film and if anyone 
is interested in seeing them they are up on youtube there is a whole blooper reel for this film and it's just so great because when one of the muppet actors messes up they keep acting as the muppet as if the muppet was like frustrated with me messing up and so the comedy just keeps going and it's just so beautiful <laughs> Now, something that I found interesting about this was I didn't realize that this was Brian Henson's directing debut. I didn't know that. Like, I knew that this was the first film right after Jim had passed, but I never realized that it was Brian's first time taking the lead as being a director. And he did a wonderful job. And I think even at the beginning of the film, it says in memory of or dedicated to Jim Henson. As far as a Christmas Carol goes. It was originally written not as any kind of musical or anything. It did end up having play adaptations later, but I have to say that the songs in this film are so well written and just feel so natural with the story that it doesn't feel like it's out of place at all. It doesn't make like obviously like having Muppets in it, it does they don't feel out of place and neither do the songs. Like the songs do such a great job of telling the story, like what is happening in the actual original story, but through song and lyrics. So I have to bring this up for anybody who doesn't know. But, you know, in the original story and in this movie, we see Scrooge and he falls in love. And then Ghost of Christmas Past takes him, you know, from when he meets this lovely young woman, Belle, to another future Christmas. And when he is talking to Belle, they're, they're going through a breakup and she leaves him. And there's this beautiful song called The Love is Gone. And it's really, really heartbreaking. But you may not know it because it has not been in the film for quite some time, unfortunately. It was originally filmed to be in theaters and they thought it was too sad even though a lot of the people that worked on it didn't think it was jeffrey katzenberg was it katzenberg okay it was katzenberg i just looked that up and he was like it slows down the story yeah so jeffrey katzenberg asked them to take it out even though everybody in who worked on the film were like but this is like such a key heartfelt moment and honestly as a kid it always made me weep but not like because it was too sad but because it was so beautiful and it was it was sad but not so much that I couldn't handle it. And the thing is, the end of the film ends on the song that is The Love Is Found. Now, if you never get to see it with the Love Is Gone sequence, the reprise The Love Is Found is kind of like out of the blue almost. And I was really upset about this. And I didn't know why, you know, we, we went from not having it in the theatrical release to having it put back in for the VHS release to once the Blu-ray, not the DVD, because the DVD did have it, but once the Blu-ray version came out, it, it disappeared again. And even on Disney Plus, it's still not there. And I didn't know why that was until recently. I found out that Disney archives actually lost the original film for the Love is Gone sequence, and they could not do an HD version of it. There was just no way for them to do it. They lost the footage. They felt really bad because Brian had been wanting to put this scene back into it, and it, it was in it for a long time until fairly recently. And so if you watch it on Disney Plus right now, 
it's a full HD movie and the song is missing, but you can watch the non-HD version in the extra section. But this is amazing. We have been trying to record this episode all week. And literally, if it wasn't yesterday, it was like this morning. They announced that they surprised Brian Henson with a screening of a 4K version of A Muppet's Christmas Carol and didn't tell him, but they found the original footage and made a 4K version with The Love Is Gone in it. So, huzzah! huzzah! It's going to be back in the film. <laughs> I'm so excited. So it's, they they don't know if they're going to be able to get it out in time for this holiday season. Like, we're recording this at, you know, the beginning of December. So who knows by the time we get around to Christmas. But I'm just so happy that it's finally in it. <laughs> Again, the love is found, literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> so with The Muppets Christmas Carol, what is your favorite part of the film? I really like Scrooge's introduction song. First of all, I have to say this because... Right when you contacted me to do this episode, uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, um, Abby Cox, did a video just gushing about the costumes in this movie. And oh my god, this is a Muppet movie. The level at which they got the costumes historically accurate is insane. Like, Rizzo was wearing a, this, like, a traditional little smock. In like the first like five minutes of the movie, like you only see it then, and it's like, like so detailed, and like the pleating around the shoulders and his neck is it's ridiculous. Like the the costumes in this movie <laughs> shouldn't be this good, yet they are. Yeah, I I think my favorite part is Scrooge's introduction. You just kind of it immerses you in the world, gives you that it sets the tone. I'm just a big sucker for like initial like first act kind of things in stories to just like like you're getting to know the world um i think my second favorite part is um christmas presents um song where everyone's dancing and stuff oh yeah also marley the marley and marley number oh so good very good yeah for sure (laughs) i think i think when he first sees marley for the first time the uh, marley brothers i think that's definitely one of my favorite parts and the song is so good and just how they make them look translucent and the lighting and everything and the really creepy pan around. Um, even uh, the bell ringing in his room. I think that's even a, a, an actual part from the book that's not often included in a lot of uh, Christmas carols that I've seen specifically where the bell rings, which I believe that was for when you wanted to call like someone who worked in your house for yeah. something that's what you would use uh you'd use the little bell system so i thought that was really cool um but i think my other favorite scene would definitely have to be when he meets the ghost of christmas present and just how like fun and absent-minded he is and he's just so like giddy and just very very kind and very open and i think it's the first time that in the story that we really see scrooge kind of like warm up outside of his own egotistical self because if you think about it the ghost of christmas past he gets emotional when he sees himself as a child and how lonely he was he gets emotional when he sees the woman he loves walks away you know he has all these moments that are very very centered around him that he 
you know, gets really sad and emotional about. But even when he gets done with that ghost, he's like, nope, I'm done. No more. No more spirits. No more. Nope. And then as soon as he meets the ghost of Christmas present, all of a sudden he's, you can see he's kind of warming up to someone else, which we haven't seen at all in the story yet. He's a little like amused by this ghost character that's in his home that's way too big and then shrinks down. It's very, very fun. And it's the first real peek at Scrooge being a normal, nice person. Because memento mori was very much a thing in the Victorian era. Like they would make like, uh, like jewelry and like keepsakes and stuff. And like the Christmas present is like very much a personification of Carpe Diem and memento mori, where like succeeds like, the day. And then when you're done, when we're done, like hanging out with um, Prince Curse's present, he's he died. Like he doesn't die, but he fades away. And it's just very much like, like, hey, enjoy, have fun. And then you're going to die, which is like a perfect transition into um, the spirit of um, Christmas yet to come. Oh, absolutely. And it, it is it is kind of hinted that he does die, even in the book. And in the movie, he says, you know, all my brothers and sisters that came before me. And it, it's kind of hinted that he only lives for this one day for Christmas Day. That is it. That is yeah. the one moment he gets. He gets this one day to be alive and really live it up. And even in the book, it's written that by the time he's leaving Scrooge, he is old and he is gray and he is withered. So he ages as he is hanging out with Scrooge, which we see in the puppetry, which is so brilliant how they do that. And it doesn't feel really, really dark when he passes. But yeah, it's it's still very, very sweet. And you're right. It's such a great transition into this death figure of Ghost of Christmas Future, which to be honest, was probably one of the spookiest things when I was a kid watching this movie, when when the fog rolls in and, you know, Scrooge is kind of running and gets absorbed in this mass fog in the cemetery. It's just very cool. Whether it's a pre-existing Muppet or a brand new Muppet, who was your favorite? This could be background character or main character, singing character, whatever. Which, which Muppet's your favorite in this film? <laughs> I have a soft spot for Gonzo. Gonzo's very good. He's a very good Charles Dickens. Also fun to see him play like a straight man when it comes to um, Rizzo and his dynamic. I also love the mice. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, where <for> us me? <laughs> I think I've got I've got two really obscure ones that I absolutely adore in this film. <laughs> like I love omniscient Charles Dickens Gonzo and his sidekick Rizzo who doubts him for the first like half of the film. It's just so good. But there are two Muppets that I adore. The first one that we see is the little bunny that's singing Christmas carols and gets the wreath thrown at him by Scrooge. <laughs> oh my gosh he's a good recruit you're he's so so precious and i remember when i was a kid when they would show bob cratchit and he was locking up for the night and he'd walk home after this you know really sweet scene of him singing a jaunty tune walking down the street you know cleaning up with the rats for the night and we see that same little bunny shivering in the cold in the newspapers homeless when I was a kid, that just tore me up. Probably 
just as bad as the love is gone scene. Like that made me so upset when I was a kid. I was like, no. So non-canonical in my mind, my fanfic of Muppets Christmas Carol is that Scrooge <laughs> adopts this bunny off the street and gives him a home. Yes! <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my uh, internal story for me <laughs> to make me feel better about that little bunny character. <laughs> the other Muppet that I absolutely adore that I don't I don't know if this Muppet appeared in any other Muppet film or show or anything. I'm not a huge, huge Muppets fan. So, listener, if you know, I would love to hear. There's the scene where Scrooge sees these people who kind of raided his home and stole his stuff. And they're pawning it and selling it. And there's these amazing Muppets. There's First of all, there's the giant spider. There's this, like, kind of toad you know, gremlin looking woman. There is, I think there's like a, a guy, I can't remember what the the guy looks like. And then there's a moth and I adore her. She, I loved her too. I was just like, the des- I mean, the design of all those Muppets were just great. So but like her, I'm like, yes. 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 <laughs> she has a look and it's good. She has a look. And I, I told Cole when we were watching the movie, if I was ever Muppified, I would be that Muppet. Like, I love that Muppet so much (laughs) with her little shaw and her like antenna being her eyebrows. And she's got the little mole on her cheek and the little lipstick like and her wings are coming out from underneath her shawl. Like, oh, oh, I love it so much. So good. I had mentioned it earlier, but I adore Gonzo being omniscient. Charles Dickens and that he is telling the story as it was written by Charles Dickens and Rizzo just completely questioning him every step of the way (laughs) is so good and that these two characters are the only ones who are kind of like not in the reality set of the story that was such a brilliant idea you know they could have done the stereotypical like Gonzo is sitting at a fireplace in a robe in some other room and it cuts back and forth between you know the story and like but no they chose to make him an active character in the story who had to keep up with the spirits by you know lassoing onto you know Scrooge's leg as he's flying off and hiding out in the classroom as it's decaying and running into doors at the last second before they close like I don't know who thought of that but that's so brilliant they're still physical but not when you were a kid was there any specific part of the the movie that really scared you because I have a couple of scenes that like really freaked me out one of them for me was there's the part where at the beginning, he walks up to Scrooge walks up to his door and the doorknob yeah, transforms yeah, into a screaming yeah, Muppet yeah. face like that terrified yeah. me as a child. Yeah, like I didn't grow up with this one as much, but I do remember that either in this adaptation or other adaptations, because that part is always, <laughs> always freaked me out. <laughs> Funny because, you know, we look at A Christmas Carol now in the time period that we're in. And, you know, if you were to read it, I don't know if you've ever read it, but if you were to read it, it's really not that scary. It's not spooky at all. It's kind of like, you know, all right, like, spooky ghosts and spirits, but they're not really dead people. They're just like embodiments of the holiday. But it's not really scary until, you know, I think the only time in the 
in the actual story that it gets kind of like creepy is when Ghost of Christmas Future shows up because he's the only one that doesn't talk. He's very much looks like a character of death, like very ominous. Yeah, and he's in the cemetery. Like it's it's gonna be a spooky time with that guy. <laughs> but how the doorknob scene is described in the in the actual story, it's really not that scary. But you're right. Almost every time I've seen that in any version of Christmas Carol, even in the Disney version, when the face transforms out of it, it's very spooky. It really is, especially in this one, because he just lets out this bellowing howl and scream and it like terrifies the horse and like there's this really creepy music and like it's so well done and it actually makes it scary again when it you know i reading the story itself it doesn't it's not really that spooky especially another good example is when scrooge is sitting down for a bite to eat in front of the fireplace and he's already very spooked from that and walking around and checking his house and you know the fire goes out and it gets really dark and quiet and ominous and the bell is ringing and then the camera you know turns and rotates around him and oh my gosh it reveals the the fog coming up from the stairs and boom marley and marley appear like reading that in the story is just sort of like ooh, a bell chimes and his fire gets dim and there's a mist rising from the staircase and it's like a little spooky. It's like, Ooh, what's this all about? But seeing it again in a Muppets movie and having it really come across as like, this is spooky. Like they just did such a great job. Yeah, I mean, it really lends itself like um, having the lightness of like there's Muppets and stuff, but then being able to um, counter that with like, like that somber tone in those scenes where like, there is some suspense. You're like, what's going to happen? What the heck just happened with the doorknob? What's going on? And definitely, like, captured what it probably felt like to, to like, listen to, like, Spooky Ghost Story um, back in the day. And you only had, like, a lamplight to light your way back to your room. Surrounded by darkness. Yeah, absolutely. Of course you're going to be freaked out. And, you know, you, you really did say it that you know Muppets does such a great job of being able to balance that spooky with the fun element of you know having Muppets in a film like they still can make it spooky but still have it be fun and I think that's so true with also the sad moments they are so so oh yeah they they do it so well and I it's been a long time since I've seen any of the other Muppet films like the older classic ones not the newer ones but even at that, I'm trying to think back, and I really don't think they had a lot of, like, super sad moments. It was mostly a comedy with, like, story. But with this one, they just do such a great job of balancing scary with the comedy of it, and then the the drama and, like, really heartfelt moments that you really do cry at. Like, you wouldn't think that you would cry yeah. over a Muppets film, but here here I am weeping over the love is gone and the love is found and little tiny Tim not being there anymore. Like, yeah. yeah. I didn't cry when I read the story, but I sure as heck did when the Muppets <laughs> came on. Yeah, because I mean, like, because, like, the Muppets in- like inherently have, like, a really endearing quality to them. So you attach yourself to them, like, almost immediately because, like, how could you not... And then you have the other aspect where it's, like, Michael Caine, and he's giving very good performances. Like, when he, like, starts to worry about Tiny Tim, like, 
you believe it. Like you you can see the shift. Like he's like, that kid's not gonna die, right? Please tell me that kid's not gonna die. Please tell me that kid's not gonna die. <laughs> he does such a good job. He does such a good job. And he's and he's acting along with Muppets. And yet he's putting his everything into it a hundred percent. And it just really makes the film come together because I can't imagine him playing it in a goofy way. I can't imagine him not being 100% serious with the Muppets because it also it also suits the character as being like overly serious. You just get that stark contrast of like how even in the costuming, like they really separate Scrooge from the rest of the cast, either they be human or Muppet um, with his color, pal- his palette, because What's pretty true to actual Victorian dress is that a lot of the characters were very colorful. They had lots of color. Like the Victorian era was the time for extravagance and like technology was being developed to make these really bright colors. Some of them were quite deadly, but uh, <laughs> but to contrast, um, Scrooge is wearing all black until he gets that scarf from Beaker at the very end, Pop which is just red. like yeah, such a such a sweet moment. So we all know the story of A Christmas Carol. We all know this because it's just been done in so many ways. Disney has done it. The Muppets has done it. You know, everybody has it. We've got Grooged, a wonderful comedy version of it. But the question comes up of why ghosts during Christmas? (laughs) Ghosts during Christmas? Like, really? Uh, That doesn't sound like a typical thing for us (laughs) nowadays. And honestly, I love having ghosts during the holiday season like i think that's brilliant but uh brie do you know why that ghosts were so common in a christmas carol and why there seems to be other inklings of holiday spooks and famous holiday songs well it's it's interesting because i just love how freaking simple this is and it's just that people have always liked ghost stories like Ghost stories have been a popular form of entertainment for like hundreds of years. Became a bit more popular around the um, 16 and 1700s. Belief in the supernatural was very common. So in the winter, there's not much to do. You don't have to worry about your harvest anymore. So you're literally just hunkering down in your home, huddling around a fire and trying to entertain yourselves and usually that was with either popular ghost stories of your area or just like interesting occurrences that happened in town it's interesting like it's not it's just like associated with the fact that people were bored (laughs) in the winter um and like some of them would be like moral tales and other ones um would just be like well, you gotta have to walk back to your room in this dark house. Um, I'm gonna tell a spooky story about a murder that happened next door. It started from just people being bored in the winter and like people turning to ghost stories to entertain themselves. The reason why we associate ghost stories specifically with Victorian era is just because print media was becoming very um, easy to produce uh, with mass uh, market um, printed magazines and whatnot. So people were able to like print magazines of stories and it was expected for um, little periodicals during um, the wintertime to have ghost stories, which also coincided with the spiritual 
spiritualism movement, uh, which arose in America, specifically uh, upstate New York in the 1840s, which is about uh, right around when uh, Christmas Carol was um, published. So basically a lot of rich people would get together, have little seances, tell ghost stories to like pass the time because they legit believed that people were able to um, be able to communicate with the dead and a lot of people were really into it. Um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, was a very big spiritualist. Um, it's actually funny because he was pretty good friends with Houdini, who wasn't a spiritualist. <laughs> he would actually go around <laughs> and go to seances with his friends and him and his wife would like point out like oh there's a wire there oh you're, you're doing something there like poking fun at um these people who are trying to like convince people that their seance was real it's it's really interesting how like a lot of facets of history are kind of like connected when it comes to like the rise in media like the rise in literacy and like um hundreds of year old like uh tradition of just telling ghost stories just kind of melded into this perfect like time of hey you want to hear a ghost story <laughs> in the victorian area yeah it's it's cool because like if you think about it in the 16 to 1700s like you were saying uh there was no crop there was nothing to really do you sit at home you're bored it's cold out and you're sitting by the fire in a very dark home with nothing but candlelight and back in the 16 to 1700s, the idea of the solstice was still very much alive during this time. It wasn't as yeah. well received in a spiritual sense, but it still was, it still had an effect on people. And so for anybody who doesn't know, the winter solstice, when it comes to more of the spiritual idea of the winter solstice, it is seen as a time of the death and the rebirth before spring. So spring is all about new young life. Well, winter was seen as this moment of essentially in paganism and in certain aspects of paganism, there is this idea that essentially the sun god had died and he dies in the fall. And in winter, it is the absolute pure stillness of this death right before he is reborn and then spring happens so during the solstice we have the longest night of the year is what it is known as and it's known as that because it is literally the longest darkest day of the year it's cold there's nothing to do everything is dead it's middle of winter of course nowadays it's a bit warmer it's about 75 where i am right now which is not winter at all for me <laughs> The idea of death was such a prominent thing during the winter solstice. It's such a prominent theme. And the idea is that during the winter solstice, because it is that cusp of death and rebirth and rejuvenation, that this could also be considered a time where the veil is thin. Not as thin as Samhain would be, which is uh, what is most commonly known as Halloween, but it's still thin enough that when ghost stories were being told, it was also a sense of sort of like, ooh, the spirits are close, the spirits are near, because 
you know, we're in this in-between phase where it, we're at the longest, darkest, creepiest day of the year, and then we're going to transition. And so I think that's really cool that that still held some belief at the time. And that it, with the Victorian era, you know, rise of spiritualism, we see just this giant boom of, you know, exploration of spirits and ghosts and what that means. And like you said, with periodicals, it just made it so much easier since people were way more literate at, at this point in time in history that, you know, the one of the cheaper things to buy to entertain yourself were periodicals. And at the holiday season, with the spirits still being very much a thing during winter, and with spiritualism on the rise, it was like, of course, you're going to go out and get a little holiday booklet for stories to tell by the fire and most of them are going to be ghost stories and what's cool is apparently the ghost stories range from everything from what you see with charles dickens where it's not really ghosts of dead people like we have marley but like the spirits of christmas past present and future are more embodiments they are spirits but they're they're kind of otherworldly beings but we also have ghost stories in the victorian era that were very much hey, that person next door was murdered and we're going to talk about how their ghost came back to yeah. like haunt the person that lives there. The range of ghost stories at this time was pretty wild. And it's funny because it's said that Charles Dickinson really was not a believer in ghosts. He was not a part of the spiritualist movement in Victorian era at that time period that he was alive and writing these stories. Even though he did have multiple stories that involved ghosts, it apparently was just not something he really believed in. It's something that he had enjoyment with writing and, you know, finding readers that were really invested in it. But it's funny that someone would, would write these stories and then kind of take a step back and be like, yeah, but that's not something I'm into. Yeah, because I don't think spiritualism had quite crossed the pond yet for him. But um, poor Charles Dickens, because of mass market um, printing, um, like like Christmas Carol became extremely popular and copyright law wasn't really a thing <laughs> like it was a thing but not to the extent that obviously we have today so it was plagiarized and illegally adapted into plays so like that also helped like help give the Christmas Carol um popular like made it so widely known besides like having a strong like moral of the story which um I think I read that Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol in response to seeing how, um, like, children were being treated in, like, labor houses and stuff. I saw that somewhere, too, as well. It was more of him wanting to tell a moral story. Yeah, like, he was super conscious of that. Um, I think he dabble he talks about that in some of his other work. Given at one point we had so many ghost stories during the holiday seasons, especially in the Victorian era, do you know why it is that ghost stories stopped becoming associated around the holiday season. Like, why don't we tell these stories anymore? What's interesting about, like, mass market printing at the time was not only were, like, ghost stories and stuff being told, but, like, the images that we associate with the winter time um, really became, like, ingrained in our culture. Like, we had the first depictions of Santa um all the things that people would do um at um like little holiday parties and stuff 
um it was when the, the christmas tree was popularized and i think it just kind of went out of favor like people the spiritualism movement like died in the 1920s uh, not died but like it like started to wane away um a bit uh, especially after the first world war i think there was a big um clapback of um especially in america like puritan ideals which definitely were a big thing as we moved toward the second world war in um the 1950s where we really were like <laughs> suppress <laughs> everything especially cuz i feel like we you know, with the Victorian era being so, so intensely interested in ghosts and spirits and uh, so many sciences that were made trying to really discover and prove spirits with the spiritualist movement. It's interesting that we, we've gone from that to an era where we just do not at all like no spirits, no ghosts. People are very, very adamant, non-believers. But I feel like compared to when our folks were our age, when they were younger, I feel like there's a lot more people interested into in spirits and ghosts and like ghost hunting again. Like ghost hunting is such a big deal now. But I feel like when our folks were kids, it was maybe not as popular. I think the only thing I can think of is like the satanic panic in the 80s? satanic panic exactly it you know they had satanic panic but i don't feel like that's quite the same as this kind of revitalization that we are seeing with a lot of new age spirituality and a lot of these you know paranormal shows on tv nowadays with all the different kinds of ghost hunters from ghost hunters you know taps uh ghost adventures yeah. even uh buzzfeed's ghoul boys you know unsolved <laughs> buzzfeed unsolved well you, uh, the the whole thing with like the satanic panic because like old ghost stories they didn't really have anything to do with like other religions um like it was kind of a blanket like not quite paganism but attached like loosely attached to like paganism like because spiritualism was just the belief that you could communicate with the dead didn't really see what where where they believed the dead were but like doing a seance was a way of bringing the dead into our human realm i did look into see if chains were a thing with ghosts in like cocktails and stuff that's just something that dickens like made what? up what yep oh my gosh you would think that like like that sounds like something from like a folktale or like because like it makes sense in the story like these are the links of those who you have been have wronged yeah, that was something that he invented for the story. That's wild, considering that so many ghost stories and any anytime ghosts are kind of like referred to after this, everybody always jokes about like hearing chains with ghosts. Like, I mean, heck, you can watch original Scooby Doo stuff, and they've got ghosts that have chains on, and they rattle their chains because they're ghosts, and that's what ghosts do. It's really interesting, like how like one story will kind of change the mythos of an entire um, spirit or ghost or something. To think that Charles Dickens kind of created that stereotype of ghosts with chains. 
everyone's like, ooh, that's a good idea. Writes it down. <laughs> I mean, it was plagiarized a bunch. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, ghosts and chains. Good stuff, good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff. Taking this for my fanfic. <laughs> well, as much as I love talking about the Muppets and the spooks and specters that come along with the holiday time, it is time to move on. But yet again, dear listeners, we do not have any paranormal stories written in from other listeners. I'm sorry about that. I'm hoping for more eventually, someday. But in the meantime, Brie and I are just going to have a lovely discussion about our own fun, personal holiday cheer. So, Brie, what were some fun things you used to do for the holiday season in your family? My dad had these, like, huge black boots. And... To when my sister and I were very, very small, um, um, when we had a wood burning um, fireplace, he would dip his boots into the ashes and have the boots go around the living room. So when we would wake up and look at the floor, we're like, oh, Santa was here. Oh, <laughs> it's funny. Now that you've said that, that reminds me of something my folks did for us when we were super, super little. So to get us to like really believe in Santa and be like, yeah, Santa, he he comes every night, like check it out. Spoiler alert, listener, I'm sorry if you still believe in Santa and we're talking about this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but <laughs> so, you know, VHS camcorders, all the rage with adults. So he had one of those big old chunky cameras that actually had the tape that you'd stick inside it to record things and he had told us that he was going to set up the camera so we could watch Santa come into the house for putting up the presents under the tree and so he actually showed us this video he caught of Santa in our house and what he, what he did was he edited the the camera footage just to make it seem like he would Santa would magically pop in and out and around the <laughs> the whole front room. So like when Santa first appears, like it's in front of the fireplace and he's like looking around, eats the cookies and then teleports to the tree and is putting gifts under the tree, then teleports somewhere else to have the milk and cookies again and acts like he doesn't see the camera. And then at the last minute, he turns to the camera and gives a little wink and a little tap of his nose and then poof, up, <laughs> gone. He, he's left. And that was always something that like, I, I didn't even really remember that until you had said the thing about the boots. But that's how my folks were like, see, Santa was here <laughs> and we have evidence. We, uh, we also had a neighbor who was really, really nice. And I think one year, me and my sister started to get suspicious that my dad was Santa because, like, Santa would come on Christmas Eve and say hello. And so we started to get suspicious that it was just our dad. Because, uh, you know, we're kids. We're starting to catch on. And then <laughs> they gave the Santa outfit to our neighbor who dressed up as Santa and came into the house and wished us all a... Merry Christmas. And we were like, whoa, but dad's here. So it is Santa. <laughs> <laughs> I 
they're in the room at the same time. Yeah. That means they can't be the same person. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, when Santa was leaving, I was kind of watching him, like, walk away. And I was like, wait, where's Santa going? And then they had to be like, oh, come away from the windows. We have a gift for you to open. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't care where Santa's walking to. <laughs> well, Bree, thank you so much for coming back for another episode. I really appreciate it talking about holiday fun and holiday spooks. This was really fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Like, you know me, I I already have an interest in uh, vin- uh well, not vintage, antique paper goods and stuff, so I, it was very exciting learning more about like uh, Victorian era like printing and stuff and research for this episode. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, in case our listeners don't know, where can they find you? So I'm Brie, Brie Paulson. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N. Um, you can find me online at BrieBird33. That's just Brie, bird, like a bird, and 33. Um, on Twitter, in- Instagram, Tumblr, if you're still on that site. Um, I do comics. I have a webcomic called Patrick the Vampire. It's about... A guy named Patrick who's a vampire. And then I have a um, graphic novel coming out sometime next year called Garlic and the Vampire Unrelated. That's a middle grade graphic novel coming out uh, with HarperCollins. I'm so excited for Garlic and the Vampire. Like, I'm so excited. (laughs) It looks so cute. Well, thank you so much again, Brie. It was such a pleasure. That's it for this thrilling, chilling episode of A Jaunty Haunt. If you would like to submit a ghost story, send an email to a jauntyhauntpodcast at gmail.com for a chance of having it read on the show, or you can follow a jaunty haunt on Twitter for the latest updates on the podcast. For all things witchy, follow me on Instagram at Eidolon's Kingdom. That's E-I-D-O-L-O-N-S underscore K-I-N-G-D-O-M, where you can also find a link in my bio for tarot readings and other witchy services. You can check out my art on Instagram at Eidolon Knight for art and more. That's E-I-D-O-L-O-N underscore N-I-G-H-T. Huge thank you to Brie Paulson for creating the theme for Jaunty Haunt. Beware and take care. <laughs>